Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Church. I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to week three of our current series, Kaleo. You guys remember what this thing means? It's that ancient Greek word. It means summoned or called. And the idea here is that God has called each of us to a divine destiny, a unique purpose in our life that he has called, called each of us really to fulfill. And today, I want to talk to you specifically about God's calling on your life to lead. And you might be surprised by that because you don't consider yourself a leader. I get it. You're like, I'm not someone with a lot of influence here. Maybe, maybe you wish you could be a leader, but you're like a student and your, your impact is limited. Or you're a stay-at-home mom and the idea of like being a leader is kind of offset by the reality that you spend most of your hours wiping butts. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I mean, when I say the word leader, in fact, what, what faces come to mind? Of course, it depends what, what genre of leadership you're talking about, right? I mean, we know political leaders. You might think of someone like Martin Luther King or, or Nelson Mandela maybe even Ronald Reagan or, uh, or President Obama. I mean, whatever your politics, you have to agree. Each of these men was a transformational leader with extreme influence over history. You may think of sports leaders. You think of somebody like a Tiger Woods, someone with supernatural powers, it seems, on the playing field. Or Derek Jeter, kind of you know, poised under pressure. Or even Michael Jordan, Mr. Clutch. Uh, I remember going to uh, college, I went to college, uh, Wheaton College, right outside of Chicago, and went to a Bulls playoff game, and 30,000 people going, Michael, Michael, is it like, drains a three-pointer, swish, and Nike had a whole marketing campaign around it, remember this? I want to be like Mike, he is an iconic leader. You think of business leaders, someone like Steve Jobs, kind of curve-jumping innovation, or Warren Buffett, right, who's investment savvy. He, like, sees things in the markets that, like, mere mortals don't see. They are leaders, and even spiritual leaders. You think of, like, Billy Graham, who has literally now shared Christ with millions around the world, or Bono, who is a musical leader, but his, his talent for impacting the culture, he's a cultural leader who literally is lobbying on behalf of the world's poorest in a systemic way, incredible leaders. Many of them lead by example. They lead through their God-given abilities or talents, but we call them leaders for one reason. Each of them has big-time impact, impact that is exponential beyond their singular life. And the reality is this. You are called to have that kind of impact, literally. That's something that deep down each of us desires to know that our life matters, that we lead a life that actually makes a difference, a life that hopefully is recognized for some degree of excellence or or commitment and ability to inspire others. The problem, I think, is when we look at big-time leaders who have arrived, who have already done something significant, because it can be inspiring, but it can also be intimidating, can it? I mean, when you look at people like this, if you think about it, we look at like a Tiger Woods or a Steve Jobs or a Bono, and then we look at our own like modest gifts or abilities and and, our lack of influence at our work or nine to five, and we can conclude, well, you know, come on. There's leaders, capital L, and then there's leaders, small l, like me. But the truth is, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, then you are called to lead. 
See, by default, being called to follow Jesus means you are following a leader, a leader who is apprenticing you to walk in his steps, which means you are to lead as well. You are called by God to have an influence and impact in, in the, really that, that, that transcends even maybe your single life or your 80 years or whatever God's given you to spend on this earth. And I have a little leadership truth that I want to share with you, and I think this is going to encourage some of you today, especially those who, who are like, dude, I'm not a leader. I mean, my husband, he, okay, he's a leader, I'm not, or, or she's, she's the leader in our house, man, I just tag along for the ride, I keep my head down, I don't get in the way. How's my little life going to have an impact? I want to introduce you to a single idea that may change the way you view yourself and leadership, and the idea is very simple. It's that big-time leadership almost always begins with super small stuff. Now, this is an encouraging thought, especially if you're at a point in your life where you don't really believe you're called to lead or have much impact for Christ. The truth is, if you take a look at all the leaders that God uses throughout the Bible to literally change the course of history, you will see that God uses super small stuff to impact eternity big time. Let me invite you to take your Bible right now. You can take that all of our campuses and turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at chapters 16 and 17. And I want to walk through a very familiar Bible story, one even children probably know, but invite you to see it today in a new way. You guys might know in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, we read about an ancient Hebrew leader named David. And King David is probably most familiar for doing one thing, right? Killing a giant named Goliath. And we love that story because everyone loves it. When David the shepherd boy kind of kills this outsized Philistine warrior with just a slingshot and five small stones. And that moment of like this heroic leadership has been immortalized in Sunday school classes and flannel graphs across the world and over the ages. But what a lot of people don't take time to talk about is the space between. The space between David's call to be a king over an entire nation and his call to have this victory over Goliath. It's huge. What a lot of people don't talk about is this process that brought David from the sheep pens to be one of the greatest leaders in antiquity. See, David's call to leadership did not begin with a big bang, but with super small stuff. And it was a process of actually hearing God's call in the very seemingly insignificant, mundane details of everyday life. If you glance over, take a look at 1 Samuel 16, you'll see David's call to leadership actually began in election year in the nation of Israel, where the prophet Samuel went to David's house, and he had all David's brothers just kind of line up so he could pick Israel's future king of Israel from among them. And, and, and just time out. Here's the way election day kind of used to work in Israel. God voted them in, and God voted them out. <laughs> that was it. There was no red states or blue states. God voted. That's it. I'm God, and I approve this message. I approve this one and not that one. That's how it worked. And God's pick of David was very surprising because he was the smallest of several sons of a guy named Jesse. And when, when Samuel asked, he said, are, are these all the, the boys you have? Jesse says in verse 11, look at this, he says, well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. And the implication, he's like, well, well David's just a kid. <laughs> he's not that significant. But Samuel said, well, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is what? The one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord 
came upon David in power. And this is David's defining moment. This is the moment when God handpicks a kid from the sheep pen to lead an entire nation and eventually establish the line from which Jesus Christ, our Savior, would come. You know the interesting thing about a lot of you? Some of you in your day-to-day life are overlooked by the majority of people around you, and yet God has picked you out from the foundations of the earth, and he has had his eye on you since you were very young, believe it or not. He had his eye on you when you were in middle school, before you ever grew your first armpit hair, all awkward, getting turned down by every girl you asked out. He was shaping you, and he was forming you, and he was creating experiences and relationships in your life. He was even shaping the dysfunction of your family to bring you to a place where he could use your life and pour it out for the glory, his glory on this earth. I mean, from his awkward days as a tween, God had his eye on David. And he anointed David in front of all of his brothers. That's what you did with a king. That was like his coronation. He anointed him with oil. And he said, I choose this one to lead my people. He will be king over Israel. And David's response is revealing. I love this. It's notable for what he didn't do. What what does David do next? Does he stand in front of the mirror and practice his kingly wave? Hey, everybody. Good times. Thank you. Thumbs up. Hey, you. Hey, yeah, you. You ever see that? The phony? Okay. Does he go to Tiffany's and and get fitted for his crown? How's it look? Am I looking good? Get his Armani robes at Neiman Marcus? Does not do any of this. What's he do? What happens in the space between David's call to lead and his victory over Goliath? Check this out. 1 Samuel 17, 13 says this. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth and back and forth to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I wonder how many of you feel like that in, in your life every day. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, all of David's brothers got to go to the front lines of the battle where all the action was, but what's David got to do? He goes back and forth to tend the sheep. I mean, I have to wonder how many of you in your job... <laughs> in your motherhood, in your volunteer or your staff position at Liquid Church, you feel like everybody else is on the front lines where the action is, and you just go back and forth, back and forth doing what seems very insignificant to you. You go back and forth, back and forth, nine to five to a job you hate. I wonder how many stay-at-home moms feel you like you go back and forth just changing the diaper so you can change another one an hour later and then change another one an hour later after that. I'm 38, and Colleen and I have two kids, We're just kind of coming out of that fog. My oldest is seven, my little boy is five, and we're emerging from what seems like four years of just this fog in our early parenting. Because I remember when my son was three years old and we were trying to potty train him. And I I remember that because it was an important meeting I was in at church, actually, and and I get this urgent text from my wife, Colleen. And I remember getting, glancing kind of down at it in this middle of this meeting, and I saw in all caps she had texted, it just said, Tim, he pooped in the potty all caps in my little text and everything. And I was like, woo, because that was a huge celebration at our house, okay? Because we thought it was never going to happen. He was the kid of the near miss, man, where I was like mopping up all over the place. So, so when my boy pooped in the potty, we gave him a sticker. We gave him stuff or whatever we had to do to kind of keep that rolling. Any young parents, you identify with this? You're kind of like, yes, oh, yes, thank you. It's not me. It changes. It does. Now, it feels kind of weird to be at this moment, we're like cheering about, you know, kid pooping in the potty. But when you're a new mom, that's a big deal. 
It is interesting, but, but, but those of you who feel like what you're doing doesn't matter, or maybe the activity that God has assigned you to is inconsequential, is that nothing is insignificant when it is done with wholehearted intensity for the cause of Christ. It's not insignificant. And my encouragement to you today is that as God has placed a great calling on your life, and he has, from the foundations of the earth, he picked you, he knows you, he formed you, he anointed you, he's called you, he's placed his mantle on you. If God has called you to do great things, and you're in the space between that calling, and you feel like all you're doing is going back and forth to the sheep pens, you're standing just attending sheep, and you're smelling like dung, and you're potty training a three-year-old, well, then you take heart. Because the most powerful impact in your life lies in your ability to do the small stuff with wholehearted intensity for the cause of Christ. Because the Bible teaches us that big-time leadership almost always begins with super small stuff. This is the pattern by which God calls David. Here's this little shepherd boy going back and forth, back and forth, called to be king over Israel, tending sheep in the meantime. You notice he didn't run down to Kinko's and get his business cards changed from like shepherd boy to like king elect. Hey, did you see? Yeah, I got that. He actually tended his father's sheep until one day his opportunity came. And my question is, look at the text. What was the startling, dramatic activity that led up to David killing Goliath on the front lines of battle? Look at the, the next verse, 1 Samuel 17, verse 17. It says this. Now Jesse said to his son, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now stop there and catch this. Don't just read on. Because this is the moment where we're like, oh, awesome, get to the good part. You know, we want to see David go all fist of fury over Goliath and that's great and all. But do you see this? Check this out. Why is David even in a position to be used by God to change the history of his family and the destiny of an entire nation? Here's why. Here's why David is in a position to do incredible things from behalf of God, from the foundations of the world. You got it. Cheese and crackers. And I'm going to need a napkin. Cheese and crackers. What's David's first official act as king? He is handpicked by God to be obedient and serve snacks. Serve a snack. Look at it, literally. Look at the text. Look at it. Dad said to David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these, these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. This is fascinating stuff. I am indebted to Stephen Furtick. I want to give him credit for this insight because I have read this account hundreds of times and never, ever have stopped to consider the reality that the only reason David was even in a position to do something great for God because he was willing to serve cheese and crackers when he was asked. That's it. Folks, not to put too fine a point on it, and I'm I am going to need a little napkin here. Oh, this is, this is good times right here. But folks, do you want to know what the, 
the face of leadership is, this is, that's what the face of leadership looks like. Cheese and crackers, it's dramatic stuff, ain't it? It's an incredible moment to think about this. You notice the text doesn't say what kind of cheese that actually David, David brought. In, in my book, there ain't nothing better than, than spray-on cheese. I said, hi, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am not doing that. Oh, nastiness. It doesn't say what kind of cheese, but we know it was probably good cheese. It was, it was great. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go live here. A few people in the front row, you want cheese? Come on, this is a moment for you. You got here early. You didn't go to the cheap seats. You in the back, you're going to have to get your own spray-on cheese. Here, go, you just take the whole thing. Your sweetheart, you, you just take that, all right? See, folks, biblical leadership, not worldly leadership, but authentic leaders who are called by God to take hold of their divine destiny, it don't begin with a big bang. Rather, they're first faithful with super small stuff. Stuff like crackers and cheese. Can you do that, David? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I can do that. Will, will you do that? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Good. Go ahead and take it, because after we have some apps together... You're going to need some rocks. What, what, rocks? What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it right now. For now, know this. I have called you to lead. And big-time leadership almost always begins with super small stuff. I mean, can I ask a question here? And this is a dangerous question. What would Liquid Church look like if every single member, I mean every single person who calls this their church home, actually started running to the battle lines to do the most insignificant thing for the most significant purpose with a wholehearted intensity for the cause of Christ? I'm talking a full-throttle devotion to God. I don't care what it's about. I'll tell you what would happen. We'd see God's stuff breaking out all over the place, literally. I know, because that's how our church got started. I mean, some people, literally, it's funny, because some people will say, hey, how did, Tim, how did Liquid actually get its start? And, and better yet, some people make it personal. They go, hey, Tim, I want to know, what, when, when did you know you were called to lead? As if there was this thunderclap from heaven, right? I mean, that's how most people kind of assume God calls people like, well, I was five years old, we were sitting around the fire, and the voice of God rangeth out from heaven. And he said, I want to give you a vision that taketh churches to the people. Lead them to a hotel if I don't think so, not even close. Being a pastor was literally the last thing I ever even had in my mind. Eleven years ago, Colleen and I literally started attending a church because we couldn't find one. And we had started attending a 150-year-old church named Millington Baptist Church. And our friends were like, you're going to Militant Baptist Church? That's how you hear things in the Northeast, right? Two of our friends from college went there. That's why we went. They invited us to church. That's why I'm here. Someone invited me to church. Catch that. At that and, and we were in our 20s. And I remember we went for three weeks. And when I met the senior pastor, senior pastor Peter Pendell, incredible guy, he said, hey, uh, quick question for you. I heard you went to college and everything. Yeah, good. Good for you. Hey, can you lead a Sunday school class for 20-somethings? And it was really funny because I, uh, I looked around. I was like, there are other 20-somethings here? I didn't realize. He said, yeah, there are at least four. And uh, it was amazing to show you what a colossal lack of vision. I mean, God gets the glory here because Colleen and I, we did just about everything we could to fumble the call of God on our lives. He actually said, so would you be willing to teach a Sunday school class for, for 20-somethings? And I said, well, I don't know. It depends. How early is it? <laughs> like, literally, I can't even believe that guy hired me. She'd like smack me in the head and throw me down the stairs, you know, in a Christ-like way. But Pastor Pendel is a man of incredible patience. And he was like, well, Sunday, Sunday school starts at 9.30. And the best part is my wife, Colleen, she says, well, we can't get there till 10. We're up late and we've got to get coffee and stuff in the morning. <laughs> That's the grand vision for how liquid first got planted. Man, we were clueless. 
We had bad attitudes. We were self-absorbed. We so lacking vision, like called to lead, whatever, as long as I get my coffee on time. That was 10 years ago, literally. And Colleen and I will never forget that. We rolled up on that class of eight people, and we did not serve them cheese and crackers. We bought Starbucks and a dozen Krispy Kremes, all right? We were going breakfast to champions. I remember that because we had four donuts left over at the end of class. Only eight people showed up that first Sunday. I remember this. That's how our church started. Because God called a clueless kid and his young wife to serve coffee and Krispy Kremes. You get this? And we said, well, all right. We'll do it. Cheese and crackers, that's my call to leadership. And that's how God birthed our church ten years ago. So I always laugh when I get approached by other leaders and stuff or, or interviewed by people who are like, hey, tell us about the great vision of Liquid and how God kind of birthed that and how you knew that he kind of called you to, to leadership. I just laugh and I take out my spray cheese. And I say, that's, that's what the calling of God looks like in my life. Here, take another one. God, come, come on up, come on up, come on. You, this is a bonus for you today, sister. This is awesome. Enjoy. You have a good time right there. That's literally how it began, with cheese and crackers. My wife and I were almost totally clueless but to our credit, and we don't deserve much, we were willing to serve snacks to hungry 20-year-olds. And God pretty much took it from there. You take any survey of the Bible and you will see that big-time leadership almost always begins with super small stuff. You need to understand right now, in this room, at each of our campuses, there are people, there are some of you who are sitting here today and you have been called to lead by God. He literally has called you to lead our church, this family, and you're like, I don't know, dude, no voice from heaven ever told me that. And the point is, it is not the thunderclap from heaven that calls you or summons you to great things. Most often, it's a simple willingness to start serving with super small stuff and trusting that God in his power and in his plan can actually use that to ripple into the lives of others. I see this happen every week in the life of our church, literally. Right now, there are folks downstairs pouring their heart into helping kids learn about the love of God. Right now, that's happening. And you know how they're doing that? Again, it's not, it's not, a, it's not big lecture or some grand plan or something. In fact, it all starts with this. Can you see this? You guys know what this is? This is what happens when spray cheese hardens, Okay you get goldfish, okay? Everybody knows this. Every parent knows what I'm talking about because your minivan is full of them and they're crushed all over the floor in the seats of your... Enjoy, enjoy. And guess what? Right now, those committed servant leaders, they're not volunteers. We call them leaders. Before you showed up today, they took time to pour just the right amount of goldfish into a cup and they measured them out. And do you know why they did that? Because today, when your kids are learning the Bible and they get all like kind of twitchy and nervous as they're listening and everything, we're going to settle them down with a snack so they can hear the Word of God. And it may seem small to us. But folks, this is what God called David to do. He literally said, would you serve a snack on the front lines where the action is? Would you do the most insignificant thing with full-hearted intensity for the cause of Christ? And David said... Where are the kids? That's an amazing thing. You heard, you heard Pastor Bill talk last week um, about our enormous goal at Liquid Kids with students, kids, tweens, teens, whoever, to creatively engage the next generation with the Word of God and the truth of Christ. And it's not about cheese and crackers. I hope you're, trying to, you're getting this. This is simply a tool, but sometimes it's a test 
that God uses for leadership. You catch that? It's, not a, it's just a tool, but sometimes God uses it as a test. What we're doing at kids is we are lodging an anchor of love into the heart of an entire generation, literally, so that your little boys, my little girl, we hope they're never going to recover from it. Because we know it's not about cheese with, but God is building the next generation of leaders right now, even though they may not look like it. Even through seemingly mundane, insignificant tasks. When they are done with wholehearted intensity for the cause of Christ, all of a sudden they get charged with ultimate significance. Now listen, I want to speak a word of encouragement right now and hope to each of you today who are serving in small ways where you, it seems like it doesn't matter. I get that. Can I just tell you? It does matter to the mom who's tired of changing diapers all day long. I, I had to have that conversation with Colleen when both our kids were, were both at home and, and they weren't in school yet and everything. My wife is incredible. She is an incredible mom to them, to me. I call her my chief spiritual advisor. She has more leadership integrity than a lot of men I know. And she's almost always on the mark. But, but, but early on, when we had two kids at home, Sometimes I would come home at the end of the day and the house would just be trashed. Toys, toys, you know, everywhere. Goldfish is kind of like smashed all over the couch and everything. Sorry about that, uh, uh, worship team. Uh, you know, and she would look, and she'd stand there. And she'd open the door and she'd like just look at me and she'd just be like, I, I had a clean like 30 minutes ago. But it's like washing your car in the rain. I, I just can't, I can't keep it that way. And I'd say, no, 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 no. it's all right. We can, we can go out to eat, you know. And she'd say, no, no, I just don't feel like I get anything done all day. Because she'd be home all day with our two kids. And meanwhile, I'm on the battle lines, making decisions, you know, kind of leading the church. And some of her friends at that time had full-time careers or the kids were grown. And I said, I want you to understand something, sweetie. We sat down. I was like, you got... I said, when I go and I pray with Chasey at night, I am praying for that little girl to grow up to be an incredible woman of God. I am... That's what I... I am praying that she will be a voice of Christ in her generation in a brand new way. I, I pray that our son, my only son, will be called to greatness. I'm not talking about success for success sake, but significance. I'm like, would you, God, when I pray at night, I think, would you make Dell just a lover of Jesus, not just actually be, give him the guts to swim against the culture and begin a movement of his generation back to Jesus. That's what I pray on my kids. Because I believe there's a calling, there's a kaleo on their life. I believe that, that they're going to do great things for God. If your kids are in the same generation as them, I'm sorry. They're just going to lead the pack. That's just the way it is. That's <laughs> but as Colleen and I, we sat down. I said, you've got to get every diaper you change, every time you put a sticker on the potty chart, so maybe he'll just go to the potty a little bit more. I know you're frustrated. And I know it seems insignificant. I know it seems like you're going back and forth tending sheep and just running cheese and crackers to the battle lines, but sweetheart, you are shaping their destiny. You are shaping it. I want to speak to a school teacher today. Or maybe you are a mentor at our church with the surge ministry, and, and you're serving your God to the fullest capacity with a bunch of pagan middle schoolers. I get it, okay? I, who, they need to be like, you, you get in there and you're like all gung-ho, and then they show up and you're like, I need just, I just, we, should, we should just cage them up because they smell like cottage cheese, and you're wondering, how in the world is this significant? I did these lesson plans. I don't even get through them. I spend half my time just disciplining them. There's a calling on your life, and you never know what one of those kids might grow up to do for God, and you have a role to play in it. Big-time leadership almost always begins with super small stuff. 
I think of the leaders in our church right now who are leading life groups and classes. This is amazing. What you're doing is not simply like opening your home and putting out some like chips and dips, though it may seem like that. You are connecting people to the power of God and through him because you were willing. Families will be forever changed. That's, that's what's happening. That's what we saw happen this summer in our FPU classes. You guys know this. This summer we had 250 people sign up to go through Financial Peace University which basically trains you how to handle God, you know, money God's way and just actually get out of debt. And with that many people, we like needed leaders. And all of a sudden, people like John Cords, like Steve and Susan Yarrod, they actually said, well, all right, we can help. <laughs> you know, we got a bunch of kids of our own. we got a tight schedule. But one night a week, we can help people untangle their finances. And the reports coming out of these classes, they are so much more significant than the seemingly you know, small investment that they have made. Check this picture out. You know what this is? This is amazing. That is 17 credit cards that got cut up by one couple in our FPU class. Can we hear it for them? It's amazing. They literally, okay, so this couple, they took out a pair of scissors and cut them up as a way of literally ending the bondage of debt in their families. Pretty cool. We've seen like, families like, develop entirely new like, consumption habits over the summer. Very significant. Here's what's cool. Midway through the FPU class, one of the couples said, they said, you know what we learned? This isn't a class just about money. This is a class about our marriage. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, the communication that's actually required to do a budget and prioritize spending together for the first time, it's like huge. She was like, we're having conversations that we haven't had in 15 years of marriage and it has opened up a very sore spot in us but actually made us feel like we're on the same page actually rowing and pulling in the same direction for the first time in our marriage. Because sometimes the stress, the pressure from finances, it creates cracks in a marriage and then a schism and then divorce. And I heard that couple's words and literally, their, their testimonial, I quickly sent them along to our leaders because I was like, do you realize what you are doing? Because you said... I can invest a night a week. I can, I can serve a snack. I can make the copies because this isn't just saving money. You are saving marriages. That was an outcome we didn't expect. That's what happens when God's people do small things but hook it up to the impact of an eternal God. He does things like this. See, folks, in the kingdom of God, big-time leadership always begins with super small stuff. And because half a dozen people were willing to set up and actually to help folks cut up credit cards, they wound up knitting a marriage back together. You catch this. This is how God works. So here's my question for you. How might God be calling you to lead this fall? How might he be kaleoing you to get off the sidelines? Because the summer is over. Let's just have a moment of silence for that. Can we just have this moment? The solace is just sadness, remorse. Oh, it's horrible. Weeping and gnashing. Listen to the teachers. They're like, ooh crying, they're sobbing, I get it. A new season of ministry is now right in front of us, and if you are looking for opportunities to get plugged in at our church, I can think of one for immediate impact, and that is hosting a life group this fall. Seriously. Life groups are one of the primary ways that people grow spiritually at our church. Life groups are simply, they're, 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 groups are actually starting in a few weeks this September. It's very close. They are simply small groups of 8 to 12 people who meet during the week, and here's what they do. Check this out. Imagine this. They open the Bible together. They say, what does God have to say to me through it? They pray to each, with each other, and then guess what they do? They eat. Imagine that. I think a lot of people assume, well, to, to, lead, to lead a group, you've got to be a, like a spiritual superhero or like this Bible scholar, but nothing could be further from the truth. 
We have intentionally designed life groups to be easy to lead. I mean, if you are friendly and you can actually just facilitate a conversation based on a study guide we provide, you can do it. So don't be intimidated. Hmm. Hosting a life group. You can host a life group. Looks like fun. Hey! What are you doing? Hey, man! What? What the heck? Wait! What? Come on! Hey! Wait! What are you? Whoa! So, Dan, you want to leave a life group? Uh, I was thinking about it. Man, do you even know how many feet are in a cubit? Do you even know what a cubit is? Have you read the book of Deuteronomy? Do you know that you're not supposed to boil a goat in his mother's milk? Man, do you even have a Bible? And last month, you only tied 9.3%. What were you thinking? And I have a sneaky suspicion that was on net and not gross. Oh, well, but, um, first group? Oh. Wow, Laura, this is awkward. What is going on? What are you doing? Well, we don't think this guy's qualified to lead a life group. What are you talking about? Do you know he doesn't even know the Deuteronomy passage about goat's milk? Oh, but, but, and, and he didn't come to church on Sunday. I'm Really? Dan is a great guy. He loves God and he cares about people and, you know, he's friendly and welcoming. That's exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, right. Guys, I mean, he's almost given 10%. I told you, Mike. Uh, all right, well... Come on, you got some lunch? Yeah, I've got some lunch stuff in here. Why don't we go have lunch? Oh, oh, right. Right. Okay. Okay. Good idea. Oh. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm still out here. Hey, come on. Come, come. Oh, oh. Maybe you have been on the bench waiting waiting for somebody to invite you to get off the bench and get in the game and lead. This is your invitation. I want to invite you to lead a life group this fall. In fact, let me step back from that. We don't even call them life group leaders. We call them life group hosts. <laughs> Why? Because all you need actually is to do what a host does, which is simply, here's our qualifications. You actually have to have a heart for people. There, we do have a high bar here. You have to like people, okay? Sorry, it's just, we just you know, big filter here. Uh, you have to be willing to open your home, okay? Your apartment, your condo, wherever it is. You can, you can have a life group at a coffee shop. They're all over New Jersey. But you, you have to be willing to do that. And then you have to be willing to serve a snack. You do have to actually crack open a, a bottle of Coke or popcorn. Ritz crackers are fine. There's probably extra if you need some. We do have goldfish if you need them. And then you simply have to be willing to talk with people. Lead a conversation that is based on a study guide we provide. We actually write the study. You don't actually have to take time preparing something. That's just misconception about what groups are like. 
But when life groups kick off this September, we're going to be doing back-to-back studies. The first one, On the Life of Christ, followed by a brand new series on the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to do anything but actually read the study that we send you and then simply pray for the people in your group. Because we provide the curriculum, the questions, the conversation starters, and your deal, your main deal, is to serve. It's to make people feel welcome and at home. And then trust God will multiply the impact. That's your deal. You get the hard part. I mean, what impact might you have? This is where it gets interesting. Because you may start out with cheese and crackers, but you may find that your life becomes quickly intertwined with others in a decisive way. I want you to check out this email. It was actually sent by one of our group leaders, Dave Hosier. He sent it to Laura Gregory. She's our life group's coordinator. And he said this. He said, Laura, as you're probably aware, our group has been meeting throughout the summer, and we just finished a study on the Sermon on the Mount. It was pretty good. Attendance was pretty regular, and we just started the Habakkuk study. And last night we were at peak attendance, 13 people. So that means we don't have any open spots for now. Now check this. I just realized something yesterday, and I thought I would share it with you specifically. If the whole idea of life groups is to live life together, our group is doing a pretty good job of it. Check this out. When somebody needed help renovating their house, people showed up and helped. When someone did well at a job interview, we all went out and celebrated. When somebody needed help moving, everybody helped pack. And when one of the couples couldn't afford to celebrate their one-year anniversary, we all chipped in for a nice dinner in a hotel. I want to join this life group. (laughs) I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back or anything. I just thought it might be encouraging to know that life groups actually work. Cheers, Dave Hosier. That, That is amazing. First off, can we hear it for our leaders? They do an incredible job setting the stage a very simple way so that the power of God can flow through his people. Folks, that's being the church. People showed up. Everybody helped pack. We all chipped in. See, folks, church doesn't happen just on Sunday. There are all sorts of ways to serve here at Liquid on Sunday or in your home. Leadership is about investing your life, intertwining it in seemingly simple ways that over time and with care, God's Spirit uses for huge spiritual impact. I hope many of you hear this call to host or lead a life group this fall. I mean, I'm I'm serious. I hope this is your moment because this is one of the areas where we really feel like spiritual growth happens best. It is the one environment where where we think, I think a lot of times, here's the deal. I think a lot of times we assume that God God works in in like, here's how we grow. He like looks down and he says, it's time for, for Laura to grow. Zap! Woo! Woman of God. That ain't how it happens. In reality, God's plan A is people. Instead of supernaturally zapping us, God uses people in our lives to grow us, to stretch us, to to lavish grace. People are not God's backup plan, but the main way you see growth happen in your life. That's what you see in Dave's email. And this fall, we want to grow. I hope you want to grow. We're going to have all sorts of new people, honestly, who are here looking at Jesus for the first time, and we need leaders, and you might be the answer to their prayer. (laughs) Okay? By the way, our life group starting in September should be extra fun. This is the first study that opens in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, I think it is. They will be tracking with our coming series, Rock God. You guys kind of know this. Everyone anticipates it. We're going to be looking at the faith in Christ through the lens of popular music. So we're going to kind of turn it up to 11 so that you can invite your friends and, and, and music lover in your life. And I actually think we might have a little teaser of this series. Do we have this? Can we just go ahead and show this real quick?
fun this fall. This is actually a brand new series on the life of Christ. We'll be looking at the Synoptic Gospels. It'll be a very accessible series. But especially if you are leading a life group for the first time, I do hope some of you hear this call to host a group. Because the thing is, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You can do it. You just have to have a heart for people and be a good host. I mean, if the story of David, of God calling him to lead his people, tells us anything, it's that God is looking for people with a heart and a willingness to obey him in very small stuff. He doesn't call people because of their impressive credentials or experience. 1 Samuel 16 says this, Don't consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. See, folks, if spiritual leadership were about degrees or appearances or professional qualifications, no one would be leading at our church, including me. (laughs) It's all about your heart. Will you be faithful in small stuff and trust God for big-time impact? That's the question. I don't know if you've ever heard it said is that God does not call those who are qualified. Rather, he qualifies those who are called. And we will equip you. You get the hard part. This. Do you have a heart that cares about people enough to serve them in the smallest ways and say, God, you do the big stuff. You change lives. That's what David did. He said, I get it. I'm called to be king. And it starts with this. Here am I. Send me. I'll spray the cheese. (laughs) Because he was faithful in very small stuff, David eventually fulfilled his calling to have a big-time impact in God's eternal story. I mean, in some ways, his subsequent victory over Goliath is just kind of a footnote in, in many ways to his kaleo here in 1 Samuel Because in God's school of leadership, small stuff always precedes a big bang. That's the invitation here at Liquid to leadership. You are called to lead. What has God called you to this fall? That's my question for you as we close here. And you may be like, well, no one's ever asked me before. Consider yourself called to lead. I am personally inviting you. Personally. I believe there are several of you today who are sitting here like me, like I was 10 years ago. You, 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 are, you are vaguely aware that God has put some sort of call on your life, but you can't see it. You can't even imagine it yet. It's cloudy. Maybe your attitude isn't perfect. And you're not even sure if you want to sacrifice anything, and that's fine. But let me invite you the way Pastor Pendel invited me a decade ago. Can you do this? Well, yeah, I guess. Will you do this? Then welcome to leadership. Some of you need to jump into leadership at Liquid this fall. You do. And do not let your fears hold you back. You are called. And God has a divine destiny for your life. But it ain't going to start one day when you get your big break. It starts when you do the most basic, simple thing that God puts in front of you, and that's to simply serve. And if that's you, don't blow this off. Because that's not me. It's God calling you. He's kaleoing you. Sign up to serve. If you hear that call, I want to ask you, in fact, to to write that on your connection card. You know this is the primary way you stay in touch with us, tell us about what God's doing in your life, how we can pray for you, but maybe the intention is the way God's calling you. Right now in this service, if if that's you, you say, I I think I might be called to lead. I have that guy warm in the bench, and I think I'm supposed to get up off it. I'm not even sure. Just write your name on the front and write on the back. Write on the back. You can simply say, you know, I, I could help with kids or teens, or I could host a life group. Just write it on the back. Even if you are not certain, 
Because Pastor Bill or Laura, they will contact you. They will get you the answers you need. They will help you find the right fit. We will not abuse you. We will not burn you out. If you want to wait till you get home, that's fine. Just go on liquidchurch.com. You can log on and sign up to lead a life group there as well. But this is your kaleo. It is a call to lead, and my prayer is that you will answer that call. Let's pray together. I want to pray right now specifically for those of you who feel something stirring. Father, in this moment, I thank you. First off, Lord, I just thank you for your grace. There is no greater calling than to follow your lead, Jesus, and serve in your church. Because your church is the hope of this world. There, there's no plan B. It is up to us. So I thank you for being willing to, to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Thank you for calling me way back when, Lord, I still have gaps and weaknesses, but Lord, you work in spite of us, <laughs> through us. So right now, Father, I ask for the leaders who are sitting in these seats today, right now, would you burn in their heart and ignite this call in their life and let them see the significance of leading our church this fall. I ask that you actually plant seeds today of big things to come through the people in this room at every campus. Raise up a new generation of leaders, Jesus, people simple enough to take you at your word and simply obey so that they can be used big time. Send your spirit to anoint them and fill us today. But thank you, Jesus, for providing all that we need, your care and your loving leadership of our church. It's in your good, good name we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen.